Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. Now I want to continue uh, reading from Philippians, uh, from the letter of Philippians. I'm going to go ahead and we're going to look at chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 2 to 11. Uh, do you remember the day that you came to Christ, right? If somebody would ask you, you know, do you remember that time that you have come to Christ? How was it? How, how, how did you come to Christ? What was your story? Most of us, if, if everyone who who's usually is a Christian who's a believer, has a testimony, right? They all have a testimony. They all have a story of how they came to Christ. Now, this, this story usually takes on three different, uh, three different steps, right? You first get who you are prior to Christ, right? Who you are living before you came to Christ, who you were. You know, the broken sinner who sins a lot, who just rebelled against God. You know, we all know that, right? That's a typical uh, before coming to Christ uh, story and then then you have where when you come to Christ right you have that story of of what God did to bring you to Christ what happened in your life that you came to Christ we all have that and then lastly we we all have that uh, story of how it is that we are after we came to Christ we all have that where we we know okay now that I've come to Christ this is what my life looks like now and even though the stories can be different at times where we have conversations and and, and we can say, well, you know, I used to be like this, and, and this is how God brought me to Christ, and, and this is how, how, you know, my life is now. And, and the stories are going to be very different. But if, if there's one thing that we all have in common when it comes to this, this story of our testimony of coming to Christ is, is that everything, after coming to Christ, everything changes. Your whole life takes a change. Your whole life changes into something else. And that's all that's something we all have in common. There was there is a change. And if you have really come to Christ, there's a change in your life. And this is something that even though our stories may be different, this is something that we all have in common. And everyone who's been born again has had this experience. And and when I say everyone who's been born again, I mean everyone who's been born again. There's no oh I I, I was born into a Christian home, therefore you know I never really got to experience the before, the doing, and after. No, no, we we like we mentioned on Friday, everyone like Pastor Alex mentioned, everyone has to be born again. The Bible calls for everyone, even those who were born into a Christian home. Everyone is born again. So everyone has a story like this. And today we're going to look at one of the greatest of those stories. So join me there in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2 to 11. I titled this sermon, Joy in Our Lost and Again. And we're going to look at this amazing testimony, right? When we look at what Paul's writing, we get to witness one of the best testimonies in history. Uh, at least for me, one of the best conversion testimonies ever. And there has been great. And, and let me tell you, within this church itself, you know, I've spoken to everyone and and, you know, I know a little bit about your story. I know a little bit how you came to Christ. And there's amazing stories within this church and within history. You see amazing stories from great leaders, from great teachers who've come to Christ. We're coming from a 
from a destruction uh, lifestyle and, and, and now all of a sudden they're being used for God. So there has been many, but, by, but Paul is by far one of the greatest in history. And Paul's intention wasn't to show off with this letter and, and this section of the letter. His, his intention wasn't to show off to see how cool he was. You know, a lot of times we want to give out this testimony to, to those around us to see, hey, look, look how, you know, how awesome I am now and, and boast on who we are. But that's not what Paul is doing. Paul is not trying to boast. He's trying to point back to who Christ is. And the reason this testimony came up was because there seemed to be some false legalistic teaching about circumcision going around. And Paul wanted to kind of tackle that and, and make sure they get a little bit of a reminder and a heads up. So he's going to use his testimony to kind of explain to them why is this wrong. So let's start there in verse 2 where he says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. See, when, when we see this before, uh, we've seen this before in many letters. We've seen this warning m many different times, many different ways, uh, from many different writers, how there's just be careful with those who are trying to teach the wrong things. Be careful with those who, who are looking to influence you in the things that are not really of God. These false teachers that Paul is referring to here in this verse specifically are teaching that you must be circumcised in order to be a Christian. So that's what it was teaching. That's what Paul was warning them about. He said, hey, be careful because there's people who are telling you that you must be circumcised. So basically, it's almost like saying you must first be a Jew uh, and then you can be a Christian. So you, you kind of have to go through this process to be a real believer. If you don't, then you're not really a believer. These were legalistic teachers who, who set a standard of salvation on the things that you did. They were setting, they were saying, the things, your works is what, you know, is, is, is if you're saved or not. If you are doing this, if you did this, then you're saved. That's what you got to do. This is the standards in order for you to be saved. And Paul has strong words for these people. He says, be careful. But what does he say to be careful with? He just doesn't say, hey, be careful with false teachers, right? We have seen in other letters that it could be just as clear as that. But he, he goes in a little strong. He goes in very hard. He, he says first, be careful with his dogs. Be careful with the dogs. So Paul does reference to, to the troublemaking legalistic who attempted to deceive the Philippians. He calls them dogs. And, and we're not talking about just your pet dogs, right? Because we all have, uh, you know, a pet or a dog or pet or a cat. Or, or some kind of pet. This, you know, the pet dogs are usually not, unless it's mine, because mine is really bad right now. But usually they're very nice creatures, very, you know, very playful. They're, they're very caring, right? For the most part, at least, I hope so, right? He's not referring to those kinds of dogs. He's referring to those wild dogs, those mean wild dogs that will go around the street in those times eating off of garbage, you know, eating all the, the garbage that was in the floor, just walking around unwashed. You know, they were mean. They, were, they had rabies probably and all these diseases from everything that they've been eating out the garbage and all that stuff. That's who he's talking about. He's talking about be careful with people who are like those dogs. He said, be careful just because someone opens their mouth and says something doesn't mean they're speaking truth. They probably are they doing is just spreading all that germs and all that nasty crap that the dogs eat, right? All the garbage, right? 
they're eating that, and they, what they go around the street just spreading out all those germs. So that's why he said, be careful with those people who are just speaking, you know, nonsense, speaking diseases into people. Uh, and, and I don't mean like literally diseases. I mean, you know, uh, germs and, and false teachings and stuff like that. So be careful with those. Then he says, be careful with the evildoers. So you see how, how he's being very, very strong because of what these people are teaching. He says, be careful of the evildoers. The evildoers is, is the work that, that those legalists are doing. That's the work that they're doing is the evil. The, those are the evildoers. The, the work that they're doing is evil. So he says, be careful. Be alert from this, this evil demonic people who, who, whose work is not of the kingdom. He says, be careful with those people who are doing work that's not really of God. Be careful with the evildoers. Then he says, be careful with those who, who teach false circumcision. So here it refers to being uh, a law. You know, remember, there's a law during those times that if you were a Jew, you had to get circumcised. Right? And that was the symbolic meaning of you being a Jew. That was the law. And they were teaching, like, to be circumcised, you have to be circumcised in order for you to be Christian. So he says, beware of those who are teaching that you must follow legalistic laws in this case specific with circumcision. He says, be careful with those people that are teaching that you must be circumcised in order to be, you know, physical circumcision in order to be a Christian. See, the love for the church and the love, the prophet, uh, the love... Of, for the church and and Paul's love for for those uh, the people in the church was to protect them. He he wanted to protect their soul. He wanted to protect what they were doing. He wanted to protect the truth. So that's why he's so hard on them. That's why he he goes very straightforward. He goes, be careful. These guys are, are you know these are not lambs or little sheep. So no, these are evil people. Be careful with them. So Paul is going to use his life as a, an example to how that's not the case, right? Because we have these people are going around teaching certain things about your works, the things, your body, right? Everything that you must do to be a believer. If you're not, you're not a believer. So he's going to use his own testimony to show him that that is not the case. And when you look at verse 3, 4, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory of Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So then he proceeds to tell them that the real circumcision comes from being cut in the heart. That's where the real circumcision comes, from within. It's not a physical circumcision. He's talking about a spiritual circumcision. And the real circumcised are those who are the people of God, those who are true Christians. So it's backwards. It's rather than being, you must be circumcised to be a Christian. It's, no, you're a believer, therefore you're circumcised. It comes before. Believing in God comes before any works. Not the other way around. He's, Paul is saying, those who are seeking the things of Christ, those who are the circumcised. Those who live a life different than the world around them. It's those who worship in the spirit. 
And in those who put no confidence in the work of the flesh, those are the circumcised. Those are the ones who've been circumcised from within. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say that if religion can get you acceptance from God, then he's on top of the list. He said, if the work is what's going to get you close to God, then, hey, that's what Paul is saying, I am on top of that list because I did all the works. Look at verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to seal, a persecutor of the church, as righteousness under the law, blameless. So he tells them that if righteousness comes from the work that they've been doing, then he will be the first to boast because he has done more work than any one of those people there have done. If it was based on the works, then he would be the perfect standard example of what it is to be a Christian. Because he's done a lot of things. Paul was an example of, you know, real uh, person really following the law word by word. And he talks about it. He says, I was circumcised. You know, he was circumcised at the perfect age and the perfect time. They were supposed to, by law, get circumcised when they were eight uh, days old. So was he. He was circumcised just like he was supposed to. So Paul, right from the start, right from being born, right? The law was already being put to work and he was following the law even before he could even speak or walk or do anything. Paul was following the law by being circumcised on the eighth day. And then he says, I've been part of the right people. I mean, Paul was born into, it, into the nation of, of who God chose. God chose this nation and Paul was born into it. He was part of that nation that God made the covenant with. That's who Paul was born into. He was also born into the right family, the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was one of the two tribes that actually followed the law. They were loyal, and he was part of one of those tribes. And he says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. If you would go to the dictionary and you pull up the word Hebrew and find the definition back then, if there were dictionaries, of course, there weren't. But if you were to pull up a dictionary back then, you would look at the word Hebrews. It was a picture of Paul. Because he was it. If you were a Hebrew, you were Paul. Right? If you wanted to be a Hebrew, that was your role model. That's who you want to be like, Paul. He was as Hebrew as Hebrew's going to get. He was raised in a Hebrew home. He learned the language. He learned the tradition. Everything Hebrew, Paul was it. He was committed to the law. And he knew all the standards. He knew all the laws. He, he had the knowledge 
of everything that the Old Testament Bible was teaching. He knew all of it. He had this outstanding intellectual knowledge of the law. He was probably even the most knowledgeable of any Pharisee. I mean, if Paul would have been put to a test and he would have been given a test, even without multiple choice, he would have gotten perfect because he knew everything about the law. He knew everything about the Old Testament. He even had the right passion. Even though it was a wrong passion, but he still had a passion for the things that were spiritual. He fought for the truth. At least what he thought was the truth. He fought for it. Remember, he killed a bunch of Christians, a bunch of believers. Those of the way, he killed them. He persecuted them because he thought he was doing right. He thought those guys were going against God. He had the right morality. He was straight and narrow. He walked in the right path with a moral, clean life. Paul had everything going for him. Paul thought that he was actually good enough. So if anyone could walk with his chest all pumped up and walking with pride, it was Paul. But you see, rather than Paul saying, hey, imitate this righteousness that I did, all this work, you know, all these physical things like these teachers are teaching, he says, rather than doing that, He tells them it's not about your works. See, he used to put his trust in those things. He lived his whole life working to meet those standards that he thought he needed to meet. He wanted to be righteous in front of God, so he said, I'm going to live this way. And he did. He did what he thought he needed to do to be righteous in front of God. But when Paul had his conversion, his eyes were open. He was able to see the truth. So then he goes on to say in verse 7, Whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul describes his conversion like it was some mathematical kind of equation, right? Whatever things, remember, whatever things he's referring to, everything we just talked about, all the work that he did, you know, from verse 5 to 6, whatever that, those things that he thought that were gain, they were gain, but not gain to God. There weren't any gain for him. They were, they were gain for him, but they weren't gain for anything for God. All the things, everything in his life that he once counted on, when Paul met Jesus, he notes that all those things, are, it was actually preventing him from being Closer to God. Everything he once knew and did was actually a loss. Was actually bad. And all of a sudden for him, the only gain that he really had was Christ. He understood that now all that was nothing and really all that matters is Christ. So he continues in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Paul tells them all things in this past life are now counted as lost compared to what the value of Christ is. So he's putting everything that he used to do, everything that was his life before, compares to who Christ is, and everything he used to do, everything his life was, or is not worth anything anymore next to Christ. The best that he thought he had to offer to God became trash the moment he set his faith in Jesus. See, Paul had everything that he thought was good in front of God. He was thinking just like the Pharisees would think, just like these false prophets who were teaching this outward of signs and things that you needed to do. He was believing in that same exact thing they were. He was believing that the merit is the acceptance in front of God. He was believing in the physical law. You needed to do this in order to be saved. But the real gain now to Paul is Christ. Knowing Christ is the only thing that would get him closer to God. And now Paul's righteousness comes from the faith he has in the work of Jesus, not the work of himself. And because the work that Jesus did, the reason why he is who he is now, is why he has a new purpose. And he tells us that purpose in verse 10 and 11, where he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So now Paul has this desire, that even though he already knows Christ, to know Christ even more. That is his new life now. His new life is to know Christ more, and to experience that power that came from Jesus' resurrection. So he has this new desire uh, in his life after his conversion to live, die, and be raised just like Christ did. He wants to live like Christ. He's not, he doesn't want to live like a God, but he wants to live as Jesus being the example for his life. He wants to follow that example. You see, he has that same pattern that our, our testimony has, right? Whereas our before... When we put all this trust in our things and then his conversion story, what God did to him, how he was able to. And you can read that in Acts. He doesn't talk about it in details, but you can see what God did. And then you see his after. Now, let me ask you some, some important questions. And you probably know where I'm going with this. Does this sound like your testimony story? Is this what your testimony sounds like? Does it sound a little bit like Paul's? Maybe not in details, but does it follow the same patterns that Paul does? 
A lot of worldviews today point to yourself as the means to the everlasting joy, as the means to be saved or, or as the being to the next. Anything you do, it's on you. Try to do good things. The more good things you do, the more likely you are to whatever comes after that you're being in a good place. So it's on you. You do enough. You need to do more good than bad. If you do good enough, whichever God ends up being real, don't worry, he's going to save you because you did good things. That's what he's all about, being good. Your actions, your works. Even for an atheist, since there, there really isn't a purpose in humanity, right? They don't believe in a God at all, right? But you, they still tell you, you still must do good because you're doing good for that next generation that's coming. So it always ends up being about your works, how much work you do, how much good things you do. It's always about what you do. But here's what we need to ask ourselves in the essence of what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. First thing is, are you true circumcision? You know, everybody likes to be in control of their life. You know, I, I like to, you know, the idea of, you know, leave it up to me to make sure I'm saved. I, and if I'm not, you know, I'll blame myself. That's a good idea, you know. I, I think I can do good things every now and then, right? Let's hope so, right? So everybody likes to be in control of their life. I mean, that's why many people reject God, right? The truth of God, because knowing God means that all of a sudden you put your trust away from yourself and you put it on God. It's no more longer about you, it's about God. So what do they do? They reject God. And they believe that they did do anything they can with with that willpower they have, they can just do anything they can accomplish and achieve what the Bible promises. People believe that they, in their own will, their own desires, have enough to accomplish that eternal life. And these people will do whatever it takes because they're confident in what they are and what they're able to do. So is that the reflection of your life right now? Does that look like you right now? It's your confidence, it's your trust in the things that you're doing. Compare your life to what a true reflection of a believer is. Do you worship God in the spirit? Or are you just putting on this external show that people think that you're good? Is it about a show? Are you putting on a show? Are you here raising, worshiping with your hands in the air? So the people around you say, oh, this, this guy's spiritual. You rejoice in Christ Jesus. Where's that joy of your life coming from? Where are you finding joy? Is it from what you're doing? Is it because you're keeping the law? Or is it found in the work that Christ already did? Where is that joy in your life coming from? Do you have confidence in yourself? Are you looking at your own work? And you must be confident. We, we should be confident, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about confidence to go in and job and do it right. No, he's talking about, are you putting the confidence in your salvation on yourself? Are you doing that? Is that what you're doing? Are you depending on yourself? That's why I tell many people, don't depend on me. I'm going to do a really bad job at it. 
Are you looking at your own works to account for your righteousness? I mean, how do you stack up after answering these questions? Think about it. How, how is it that your life fits into these questions? How, what is the answer to those questions? We're so dependent on our own work that we have, we, we even start judging the work based on other people's work. I'm not that bad of a Christian. Look at this guy. Oh, look, I'm pretty good. Yeah, I, I come to church every Sunday. Right? All of a sudden, we're so dependent on ourselves that we stop even looking at the standard of good and we look at the standards next to us. We can all easily get to a point where we rather than looking at the work of Christ, we look at the work of others and compare it to our work. And then all of a sudden it becomes all about works. All work, work, work. That's all there is. Now, what you should be asking yourself after understanding this letter, are you willing to give up your self-righteousness, all this work that you think you need to do, are you willing to give up and let righteousness come through faith in Christ and not the work. Are you willing to give that up? If you compare yourself to Paul's original idea of what it is to be righteous. I'm sure even then you still come up short. Like that's the standard of righteous even then I'm coming up short. But then even then I'm sure most of us think that. We're still good. No, don't worry. Here's the standard, Paul, the standard of righteousness, right? Because of what he thought he was before coming to Christ, right? I did everything the law says. I did everything. You compare your life to him. You know, I didn't quite do everything Paul did. I didn't, I'm not quite following the law, right? But then you still think you're still good, right? Because that's who we are. Even if we fall short, we still think we're good. See, Paul was trusting in his own work because his own work was exactly what he thought it needed to be. So are you doing the same thing? Are you just focusing on your work because that's what you think you need to do? I've asked this question before. I'm going to continue to ask it until, you know, we, we understand the response. You know, if you're front, right now in front of God and God says, why should I let you in here? What is your response? What are you going to say to him? Believe it or not, the majority of the so-called Christians will probably say, you know, I did the best that I could. That's why I deserve to be here. I, I did as much good as I could, you know. I obeyed as much as I could. I think I'm a pretty good person, right? I, I didn't kill anyone, so I think I deserve to be in here. But this is why I say says. Isaiah 64, verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. So uh, some versions of, of this says our righteous deeds is like a filthy rag. Some of the other different versions says that. I like how ESV translated it because I think it's, it gives a better understanding of what this actually means about our righteous work. It says, because it, is, it says, your deeds are like a polluted garment. So it literally means a bodily fluid from a woman's menstrual cycle. That's what your works are in front of God. 
these righteous acts that you think you're doing, these righteous things, these good things that you think you're doing or considered by God a soiled feminine hygiene product. Garbage. Saints, you're not going to come to me with this garbage. I like how Dr. Steve Lawson says, being good is never good enough because God requires absolute perfection. That's why we can't come to God with those same standards that Paul used to go to God with. For Paul, everything he did in the past was to be close to God. Everything he did was to be close to God and all that is nothing. They didn't account for anything. And to think we haven't even met half the standards that Paul did. To think we haven't even been close. Paul did more than even anyone can ever meet the standard by the law. He did more. Yet he knew it was useless. He did more than us. And he has a clear sense of mind and says... All that is nothing. But yet some of us think that our work is going to make us righteous. But we have to understand that what makes you righteous is your faith in Christ. The real gain is Christ. And the only value is to know Christ. None of your works means anything. There's no value in it. Christ is. Finally, ask yourself, are you willing to live and die like Christ in order to gain eternal life? You say your life has changed since Christ came into your heart, right? Has it? Has it really changed? You say, well, it did. My life did change. So are you willing to live like it did change? Are you willing to take on that? Like your life did change? I mean, don't get me wrong. I, we've talked about works last week. We're not talking about there is no work. You never have to do any work. But all that work is useless unless Christ is the first one to come into your life. So are you ready to live like it? Like Christ is in you? Are you really ready to put your trust in Christ? Are you ready to just leave all that behind and just put everything on Christ? Everything is because of Christ first, always. See, because you can't gain Christ and then cling on the things that you're still coming with. You can't claim that you have Christ in your life and still hold on to those things from the past. You can't. Imagine Paul saying, I know Christ but I still depend on all my works. I'm still going to do all this and I'm still going to kill the Christians because I still think, you know, they're wrong. But I, I, I believe in God. No. He left it all go. And those are not necessarily terrible things other than the killing of Christians. I mean, he was a he was a smart, good man. And of course, in my standard, right? He did good things, right? He thought he was doing good. 
by, you know, persecuting Christians. But other than that, he was, you know, he was a smart guy. He was very popular. He was somebody. He let all that go. He said, all that is worth nothing. Nothing. So are we willing to let go of all that and say, all that in my life before that I thought was good, that I thought it was good for me, or that I thought it was going to get me closer to God, let it all go. Are you willing to do that? I mean, think about it. If you're in a plane, right? God forbid. This is, uh, this is just an example. For God forbid it happens. And you're in a plane and the pilot comes in the speaker and says, Hey, guess what? This plane's about to go down and it's going to crash. We're all going to probably die. Now, if you want to be saved and not die, you need to jump off the plane and put on your parachute and then jump off. Right? So what are you going to do? Okay, I'm going to not listen. I'm not going to trust my parachute. I'm just going to jump off. I can't think I can fly, so I'm going to put that trust on myself. I don't know this parachute, so I'm going to jump off because I trust myself. I trust in the work that I'm going to flap my, my hands enough and I'm going to fly. No, you don't do that. You put your trust in the parachute. Because you know the parachute is going to open, it's going to do its job, and it's going to save you. Right? That's what you do. So you jump off, or you put on your parachute, you jump off, you open it, and you trust that the parachute is going to open, and it's going to save your life. That's the same way we need to put our trust in Christ and His work. His work is what saves us. He's the one that we need to put our trust on. Not on ourselves, not on our works, not on anything we do, but on Christ. His work is what's going to save you. We all one day are going to stand in front of Christ. And none of everything we did, none of it, is going to be good enough to save you. None of it. Our sins require a great payment. And our flesh never has enough to pay for it. You will never do good enough to save yourself. You will never be able to stand in front of God on your own and say, I did enough to be here. You're never. You need someone who's going to be in there stepping for you and say, no, I will pay for his penalties. And that was Christ. Christ is the one that did so. Only Christ can do so. Only Christ has lived perfect life. Only a God who came into this world lived perfectly in order so that could be accounted for you. And only Christ did that. Church, pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord. Father, thank you for, for what you've done. Even though we don't deserve it, Lord, you did this for us. You came, you suffered, you lived perfectly, you died and you rose again, Father, just for us. So, Father, we just ask that we may be able to put our trust in you, Lord. Change our desires, change our hearts, Father, and, and allow us to put our trust in you, Lord. And not on anything that we do, Father. And if we're currently living in that, in that state of mind that we think we need to do good enough or we're trying to do good enough, Father, we just... Allow us to know that it's because of you, not because of our works, that we're made good enough. 
Father, thank you again for everything you've done, Lord. Allow us to live this out. Allow us to share this good news to everyone else, Lord, that is no longer dependent, is never dependent on the things that we do because we are always going to far short. So the good news that is dependent on you. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church. Father.